Are you ready to be transported back to 1800s high society London? Because season three of Bridgerton is now playing only on Netflix. This season follows the story of the Tons resident wallflower, Penelope Featherington, as she undergoes a journey of self-discovery and empowerment where we see her truly blossom. Penn's emotional transformation takes centre stage as her friendship with the charming Colin Bridgerton evolves into something more. For those not yet acquainted, Colin, the charming younger brother of the Bridgerton family, is about to turn Penelope's world upside down. Mm, This is the ultimate good friends to lovers story. From those initial butterflies to when both parties realise there might be something more between them, watch Bridgerton Season 3, now playing only on Netflix. Success to me is, I guess, making a difference. It's not about money or Instagram followers. It's not about grand slams or gold medals. It really isn't. It's about making a difference in for my community and people that I care about. And success to me is being happy with the person that I am and living a happy life with the people that I love. Hello and welcome to this In Conversation episode of Shameless with Dylan Alcott. We are sure this man needs no introduction, but in case you have been living in a remote area of Peru for the last decade, let us introduce you. Dylan Alcott is a professional athlete, media personality, motivational speaker, best-selling author and disability advocate. At the age of just 29, he has won six consecutive Australian Open quad single titles on top of winning a gold medal for the Australian wheelchair basketball team at the 2008 Paralympics and a world championship title in 2010. On top of all of that, Dylan is the founder of Ability Fest, a music festival that normalizes disability, the host of a new podcast, Listen Able, and the proud recipient of an Order of Australia medal. Dylan was vivacious and an all-round legend when we sat down together, and we hope you take something wonderful away from this chat, because I know that Zara and I certainly did. Here's Dylan. Dylan Orcott, welcome to Shameless In Conversation. Thanks for having me. I'm a big fan of the podcast, so it's a pleasure to come on. We're a big fan of yours. You are one of the most asked for In Conversation guests of all time. So thank you for coming on. Sorry for harassing you via Instagram DMs. No, that's all right. I saw you guys put up a post saying, who do you want to speak to? And I was pretty chuffed that I did get tagged quite a bit. (laughs) I saw that. My partner Chantel's like, ooh, your name's coming up a bit on there. One of the few men as well. Everyone goes for women. You're one of the few men. You, Hamish Blake. Who else? Will Anderson. So like the trio. Good trio. Yeah, I, was I, like, I didn't know I was at that level. So like <laughs> Good that. company. Dylan, the first question we always ask is, what are you reading, watching or listening to at the moment that you would recommend to other people uh, who are listening? Yeah, very good question. What I'm watching, we watched a series called The Stranger, which is something on Netflix. Never heard of it. Have you heard of it? No. There you go. That's why it's a good one to say because everyone's always like, oh, I'm watching Game of Thrones. At the <laughs> it's a really good series about somebody who goes missing and they try and find her and there's a stranger who tells a husband a secret and then that starts off the whole chain of events. There wow. you go. Is that a good tease? That's a great cool. tease. Not bad. How long is it? Like how many episodes? Eight episodes. Eight apps. Not that's, too bad. That's doable. I feel like I need to see something where I can see an end in sight. Yep, very good. My book I'm reading is, I just finished, I should have read this earlier because I'm sponsored by this company, but I read the book Shoe Dog, which is the story of Nike, how oh. it came about. It's you pro- Some people might have read it. And even if you're not a big sportswear fan, mm. just the humble beginnings of a startup 
to become one of the biggest brands of the world. I just finished that book and I really enjoyed it. Do you generally read a lot of businessy? No, stuff? not really. I just this one's actually pretty entertaining, more so than just business stuff. I've got into audio books, so that's why I'm getting through more books at the moment. I used to be a reader, but carrying a book when you can't walk and use your hands to push a wheelchair is a pain in the ass. So yeah. audio books are much better for me. Perfect. And what was the, what was the last one? Podcasts. I mean, are you listening to your own? I am listening to my own podcast quite a bit. <laughs> so we just launched a, a podcast called Listenable. So it's a play on the word listenable. So it profiles the lives of people living with a disability in a really different lens, trying to be entertaining, humorous. We talk about things like... You know, we have people who are in my situation in a wheelchair. We ask, you know, I was the first guest and my co-host Angus O'Loughlin asked me, can I have sex? Because that's the number one question that I get asked. You know, when you're blind, how do you know where you go into the bathroom? Like, how do you find it? Do you walk into the wrong bathroom? You know, questions that are nothing is off limits. And yeah, it's, it's going like really you can't well. ask that, I guess. Yeah, pretty much. There's a lot of, lot of that element. And even things that, you know... I, I guess I'm a disability advocate and I get asked so many questions about what it's like to have autism. I've got no idea. <laughs> I don't have autism, right? But I have to be the voice because I'm the person yeah. that might be in the media. So in this podcast, we get some some people with autism on and the way they explain it is so easy to understand. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So you can really like, oh, I get it now. Because I think for some disabilities, we don't really understand what that means, especially for invisible disabilities. Mm. So yeah, I'm listening and editing to my own podcast and obviously, shameless. Oh, <laughs> twice I mean, twice every, a week drop. Every guest tries to say that. I'm like, you don't need to. <laughs> yeah. We appreciate it anyway. It's so exciting though. Have you really loved working on this new project? Has it really fulfilled you being able to platform those different kinds of people? A hundred percent. And you'll both agree. Like I actually didn't know much, too much about podcasting before you started a podcast. <laughs> yeah. And then you start a podcast and you become obsessed <laughs> with podcasts. And I think just the laid back and the, any podcast can be anything that the, I guess the person curating it wants to be in terms of the voice mm. of that. And, you know, when you think, oh, a disability podcast, is this guy going to yell at me about what it's like to have a disability? You know, that's not me. I just try and break down barriers through real life lived experience and to be able to do that in a relaxed setting where the guests can be really open and, you know, it's pretty hard hitting as well. Like mm. we have a young a guy called Ben Pettengill who woke up one morning when he was 16 years old. He went to bed with sight. He woke up the next morning. He was blind. Fuck. Exactly. How did that happen? Wow. Did he want to keep living? Mm. He doesn't know what his wife looks like. Wow. He won't know what his kids will. There you go. Do you, know, do you want to know what that's like? I was like, I want to know what that's like because I have no idea. Yeah. So it's why it's really great opportunity to do it. So, yeah, we're we're pumped and hopefully I think it helps. Hopefully it helps yeah. a lot of people as well. And I'm sure we'll get into it soon. But I wish I had this kind of podcast when I was growing up because I used to hate the person that I was. And if I could have heard stories, it would have been so beneficial to me. Mm, let's talk exactly about that. You growing up. The second question we always ask is, what were you like as a kid? Andrew Denton has described you before as a flaming ball of energy. And I wonder, was it always the case? What were you like? growing up it wasn't always like that have you ever seen the photo of me when i was 12 years old i have seen a couple of old photos of you floating around yeah it's like i was like a pretty fat kid and i was born with my disability so i was born with a tumor wrapped around my spinal cord that was cut out when i was a few days old so i've never known anything different and up until i was about 10 11 years old i never really cared about the fact that i had a disability i knew but i probably didn't understand the what that meant, I guess. And then when I was about 12 to 14, I just deeply hated myself. I hated my disability. I was embarrassed. I knew I was different. Could I have a girlfriend? Was I going to get a job? All my mates were going to house parties. I wouldn't get invited because I didn't know if I could get in their house. I just sat at home 
for two. I got bullied as well. I used to get called a cripple or a spastic everywhere I went by a few kids at school. And I mean, you guys will know what it's like. And, and I'm sure people listening, you focus on those four dickheads that give you a hard time, not everyone else that's nice to you. And that plays up in your head and it goes round and round and round. And for me, everybody knows me who's who I am now. And I think I'm so glad I went through that dark time because it made me a better person. It really did. And I guess the biggest regret I had is I didn't tell anybody about my mental health struggles there. I just internalised it. And if I told people, I would have got over it a lot quicker. And yeah, so. It sounds like such a difficult age, 12, 13, 14. We had an interview with another disability advocate, Jessica Quinn, and she has, she's missing most of her leg after she had cancer as a child. And she said, you know what, as a kid, didn't even realise it, got to those teenage years and it was just like this big black hole I couldn't get myself out of. How did you get yourself out of that? Because there was one day that you rocked up to your friend's house. You weren't invited to his birthday. You knocked on the door and you showed up anyway. What was it about that day that changed things for you? Oh, it was the conversation that happened once I turned up. So I'm sure you both got invited to lots of house parties growing up. But uh, I no. actually will never forget the one birthday party that I wasn't <laughs> invited to. So to not be invited to birthday parties in a row would be harrowing. Yeah, and neither of us it. are particularly cool. So I think it'd be <laughs> there weren't actually that many invites floating around. But please proceed. <laughs> yeah, so the cool thing to do back in the house party days, which you weren't invited, was to jump the fence. So I said to my brother, what do you do when you're not invited? He goes... Me and my mates just jumped the fence. Oh my God. I was like, solid advice for your brother. <laughs> Shout out to Zach. He's a good man. But I just knocked on the door. My mate opened the door. He had this shocked look on his face. And he said, Dill, mate, I'm sorry we don't invite you places. I've got two steps to get into my house and I didn't know if you'd be able to get in. Now, I can get up steps with a bit of help so easily. And what I found was these guys didn't hate me because I was different. They were just actually embarrassed to talk about my disability with me. Did I need a carer? Could I come to their house? Could I get up steps? You know, they had no idea. But more important than that, I was embarrassed to talk about my disability mm. with them. I used to shy away from it. And that was the biggest life lesson I ever learned. As soon as I started talking about it and I started being comfortable with who I was, the more everyone else around me became more comfortable, hence why I could change my life in that instance. Do you think that's quite indicative of how we sort of function with these conversations, that sometimes it's not that we don't want to talk about it, it's that we don't know how to because we're so fearful of saying the wrong thing and therefore all of this stuff falls away? Like your friends were just so terrified of doing or saying the wrong thing so it just never came up? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I still face that all the time. Like I always say, people go, do you want to go walk and get a coffee? And they say, sorry. I still say I want to walk down the street. I walked to the studio today. Yeah, I didn't technically walk. But that's how I went from A to B, you know what I mean? And that's why there is a timidness to do that. But there is also a bit of discrimination in not doing it as well. People don't want to talk about it because they don't really give a shit. And they don't think it affects them when there are 4.5 million people in Australia alone with some form of disability. 1.3 billion people in the world. One in five people have a disability. Crazy number, yeah? Yeah. So I think the best way to talk about or the best way to have social change is to do it in the mainstream and I think to make people buy into it. And the advice that I give on that, because such a good question is, if you want to find out a question about each other, what do you do? Ask it. You ask them. (laughs) So why, when you have a disability, can't you ask? It's so interesting. I want to know what it is about you that decided to rock up to your friend's house that night because it's something that so many people wouldn't do and I imagine that was a decision that almost changed your life or took you down a different path. What is it about you that said, you know what, I'm going to rock up anyway? Yeah, it's part innate, part learnt, I think, confidence and things like that. People ask me, is it better to be born with a disability, right, and know nothing different or have a car accident and, 
you know, know what it's like and then lose mm. it. Tough question to ask. The one thing I'll say is well, if you have a car accident when you're 20 or whatever and end up in a wheelchair, you've got friends and family around you who will support you. You have support networks already. Hardest part about having a disability as a kid is kids are brutal. They really are. Mm. And and that's not their fault, but it's what happens in teenage years. And, you know, whether you're overweight, don't like your hair colour, from a different country, LGBTQI, have a disability, happens to all of us. And I am so lucky I had that internal flame to go, fuck this, I'm going to invite myself to that house party and try and change my life. Mm. But I appreciate for the vast majority of people, they'd probably still be on the couch and that sucks because then if you don't have friends at school, you don't go to house parties, you don't develop social aspects of your life, you don't get a partner, a boyfriend or girlfriend, then you can't get a job. It's like a cycle. can't go to uni. Yeah. You're done. And then you're on the disability pension or whatever it is. So I think it's up to all of us to, to provide opportunities for people with disabilities to build that desire to get out there and do things. I read in another interview that you've done before, you said, I've never been able to walk or run around or play football with my brother. And the the last bit kind of stood out to me because I feel like it's such a fundamental part of like Australian boys growing up kicking the footy with their brothers. And yet you've turned out to be such like a sporting superstar. And I wondered in a country where sport is so central to our culture, how you kind of lean into sport when we have such a narrow minded way of how it should be played great question yeah i think when i was very lucky obviously i played won a gold medal playing basketball when i was 17 years old at the beijing paralympics and then changed to tennis and as you probably know i'm now the tennis player and been lucky to have a good career in that and i think one, six australian opens now uh, consecutively six, yeah, six in a row which is nice no big deal yeah. nothing gotta get to 10 now. Gonna, yeah. <laughs> i'm getting old so. <laughs> um and the one thing that I've always seen myself is I'm an elite athlete first and foremost who just happens to have a disability. The same way that somebody might play left-handed, kick the footy left-handed, whatever it is. It's just a part of how I play. It doesn't define that. But I'm also very proud to be a Paralympian and, a, and an athlete with a disability. But sports saved my life because when I was getting bullied, I started playing tennis. And I tell you why, if you take away the gold medals, grand slams and everything, I tell you what tennis did for me. It was the first time I ever met people like me, played against people like me. They were older. They drove cars. I didn't know you could drive a car when I was 12 years old. Dead set because I didn't know you could do that when you can't use your feet. They were married. I didn't know you could have partners. They had kids. I didn't know you could have kids either. That social aspect of it, of sport, was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I owe that to, you know, being in a country where we love sport, but also my brother. You know, we used to play footy and I'd sit on my knees, he'd just kick the footy at my face, you know, and I'd have to mark it. You know what I mean? And it worked good for my hand-eye coordination and, and things like that. And I, I owe a lot of sport, I really do. And that also gave me the platform to then come on this podcast, be an advocate, talk about the things that I'm passionate about and, and not do it in a preachy way, just be me, you know what I mean? And yeah. I think that's why I've hopefully had some cut through in the, in the mainstream to try and change that perception. That element of hope that comes with sport must be so important because you did at 17 become the youngest ever, was it youngest ever Paralympian basketball player to win a gold medal? Youngest Paralympian wheelchair basketball gold medalist, yeah. Incredible. You I won? had a shit ass haircut as well. <laughs> you had a beard? <laughs> no, I had no beard. Oh, when I did looked, you have a beard? No, that would have been in London. Oh. I look so young. I was, in, I was you know. Um, you were young. I was 17, <laughs> but I should have, the, the day that we won gold, I should have been in a year 12 accounting exam. Great that you missed that. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Back yeah. to the right horse, I reckon. Sport, Sport, yeah. I could have been an accountant. <laughs> How did it feel then? I mean, only a few years before you'd felt quite hopeless about life and three years, four years later, you're on this podium with all of these other men who had also achieved such great things. How did it feel in that moment? Can you take us to that day? Oh, uh, I didn't fully, fully understand it as a 17-year-old, but, you know, the teammate on my left of me had beaten cancer four times by the time he was 14. 
and lost his legs. Another teammate had been in a car accident, lost his fiance and his best mate, and he was paraplegic, never walked again. So their lives were turned upside down. They probably were at the brink like I was and never thought your life would be anything. And then to sit on top of that podium with tears in our eyes singing that national anthem, so bloody proud of one another, that's pretty cool. It really is. And I get goosebumps what I'm talking about and I can see you guys in your face. It's, it's, when you think about it like that, it's pretty special, isn't it? And well, it's the stories that make sport what it is, exactly right? Exactly right. And, and all of us. And, you know, that's why we come on here and share our stories and things because hopefully it, you know, inspires but also hopefully changes other people's lives as well. Like, they, like my teammates did mine. Leaving school, what was it that you wanted? Like a lot of people would look at your career and be like, that's amazing, I want that. But there's no plan to do what you've done. What was your plan leaving school? I – so, you know, I didn't – you don't make any money off the Paralympics. So we had to used to pay to play, you know what I mean? And and I just want to – from the outset, because I know a lot of Paralympics will listen to this, I appreciate now I'm the lucky one who on the bank ads and things like that, and, you know, I can make a living. But it's only a handful of us that can do that. The rest, you know, still can't. So I actually went to university and got a commerce degree. You know, I had a backup in case it didn't work out. But the one thing that I wanted to do is I – Loved a tennis player called Pat Rafter growing up. Do you guys know Pat Rafter? Yes. If anyone does we're know. not that young. Pardon? But we're not, maybe not young. be ten, exactly right. Maybe not be ten, so. <laughs> so, All the media stuff yeah. we know him for. Yeah. So I love Pat Rafter because win, lose or draw, he was the same, right? Yeah. But also he looks great in underwear. And I thought one day I could get an underwear out as well. <laughs> Do you know what killed me when I turned on the TV or the radio or the newspaper or whatever? I never saw anybody like me. Mm. And when I did, it was a road safety ad where someone drink drives, has a car accident bang next scene is me in tears life over i was like bullshit that's not my life so leaving uni i was like i want to be that guy i want to be the guy that changes that perception i want to be the guy where people see that guy and go oh that's not some guy in a wheelchair oh that's his name's dylan they don't give a fuck that i'm in a wheelchair and but also try and change that perception in the mainstream media to break down those negative stereotypes because you know i used to sit at home going that what can I do? Because I can't be Pat Rafter. You know what I mean? I can't. I could play tennis, but not like him, and wouldn't get the exposure like him. And no one will give a shit about me and whatever it is. So that was kind of my goal. Did I think it would happen? I would have given you a million bucks to think <laughs> it would have. I really would have. Really? I know. I knew that I wanted to do it, but it wasn't up to me. It was up to everybody else accepting me as well. Yeah. And you bring that out of people. But I really wasn't sure if it would. I would say there's a 10% chance it would actually have that cut through and it's because of everybody supporting me. It's not just about what I've done, you know, whether it's the media and friends, family, things like that. Do you think it's nature or nurture? Because I know we've said to you, what is it about you? Like where does the fire in the belly come from? But I do really want to know, do you think you were born like this or do you think that you were born into a family that really supported this and nurtured this too or was it a combination yep. of both? Part nature, you know, I'm just the, I'm the kid, the person who I am, you know, luckily and I'm so lucky that I have that drive to – you know, the, you said the interesting point before, I have a beautiful partner, Chantelle, and we want to have a family one day. My brother's going to have to teach them how to kick a football. We just finished summer and you all go to the beach and I sit 50 metres away and I watch you all. That sucks, yeah? I'm not going to lie, but I have the ability to focus on things that I can do and not care too much about them. That is just who I am. So that's part nature. The other thing is nurture. I remember I was 14 years old and I said to my mum, hey mum, I want to get the train to school with my friends. It was a one-kilometre push. I did then get on the train, then get the train there, and then go to school. She was like, absolutely not, right? I'm not letting my just-turned-14-year-old boy in a wheelchair who can barely push down the street go get the train and go to school. Why would I do that? And I'm like, I want to. you have to let me go. Guess what? 
she let me go. That's how I got friends. That's how I became independent. That's nurture. I think a lot of people with disabilities or even just young people, to be honest, are often wrapped in cotton wool these days, right? And then they can't develop friendships. They can't develop independence. They can't develop resilience. And so I think I had both, <laughs> which I'm lucky. I don't know if I had the nature. My parents were like, no, you can sit at home and not go anywhere and I'm not going to buy you a sneaky three UDLs to get your house <laughs> Whatever it is, I don't know if I'll be doing what I'm doing, you know what I mean? So I think you have to be lucky to get both. What so many able-bodied people probably don't consider is the extra barriers that lay in the way of people like yourself getting employment even. And we read an interview that you did with GQ explaining the very first job interview you ever got. You were 19, you rocked up and the job interview was cancelled. Do you want to explain that story to our listeners? Yeah, so the biggest barriers that people face for employment with disabilities, I like to call the other ones you can't see. Yes, there's stairs, you know, whatever, the, the things you know about elevators, things like that. But the biggest barriers are unconscious bias, discrimination or a lack of opportunity. And you can't see them. They just come into play. And yeah, I went to turn up to a job interview. I was a brand ambassador for a big brand. And they were like, yeah, yeah, this guy sounds great. I have a resume. Didn't say I was in a wheelchair, obviously, because if I did, I wouldn't have got the job interview. They would have said, oh, well, look, you know, said no. I turned up and they came downstairs and they are like, oh, sorry, the interview's upstairs. And I was like, oh, that's all cool. Just bring it downstairs. And they were like, mm, look, it's probably not the best fit, this job. And they just cancelled the interview. And yeah, there you go. How do you feel in that moment? Oh, horrible, like embarrassed and disgusted and a bit defeated, you know? Yeah. And things like this still happen. Like, you know, I went to a bar, a bar we all go to in if you live in Victoria on Chapel Street, off Chapel Street and got there and my mate was a doorman. He's like, can I come in? He's like, no, nah, I can't leave me, mate. My boss will find me. I was like, you let me in all the time. He's like, no, 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 I can't anymore. I was like, what? And he goes, look, I just can't. And there was 19 of us for a party. And he um he gave, he's like, I'll give you the owner's number. And he gave me the number and he said, I called him. I said, mate, I'm just like everybody else. And he goes, you're not a person, you're a fucking fire hazard and you can't come into my club. When was this? I would have been about 20 years old, 21 years old, so wow. seven years ago. Now, this happens every day and it's, you know what, some things like this happen to me sometimes and I'm the famous one they know they're going to get abused on Twitter. Imagine if you're just a 30-year-old female with MS or whatever it is, you know, or got autism or whatever. So it still happens. It's pretty crazy when you think about it, yeah, and I guess sharing these stories but also hopefully that guy will see someone like me on TV and go, oh, those disabled people aren't as disabled as I think. It's not 1970s Zimmer frame you know, hospitalised people anymore. Yeah. You know, we're independent people who can contribute to society. In 2012, you suffered, I think it was 2012, a pretty severe hand injury when someone picked you up in your wheelchair at a function and you needed like a full hand reco and months of rehabilitation, which meant you kind of had to change sports in that moment from basketball to tennis. I'm interested in how you look back on that because I imagine it would have been so devastating at the time, but it was kind of like a real line in the sand now, wasn't it? Yeah, so a guy I know accidentally picked up the back of my chair, you know, had a few beers and I fell out the front and I was holding a glass and when I landed the glass into my hand. So this will be hard to explain on the on the podcast, but I'll do it now. So as you can see, when you move your hand, you open, you keep your fingers straight and you open your fingers constantly. Yep. So that's on my, I can do it on my left hand. If you see my right hand, I can't ah. move my fingers oh, anymore. Oh, wow. So it was a big, it was paralyzed my ulnar nerve. So I lost the use of half my hand and in tennis there's two classifications, one called the open division, one called the quad classification. So the open division has one or two limbs affected, amputees, 
paraplegics, whatever, the quad division has three or four limbs affected. So I'm obviously a paraplegic, but I also have a severed nerve in my hand, hence why I can play in that classification. So I decided to move to tennis. I also played tennis as a kid. I was pretty good, and I'd got over basketball. Like, I was going to quit regardless. I just didn't know if I'd go into tennis. And, yeah, so it sucked, and I almost lost my life because I bled out so much. But retrospectively... Worked out well. How old you've been through a lot. Yeah. What's your relationship with anger after moments like that? Because you already have gone through it a lot. Like you already don't have feeling in a lot of your limbs. To, to nearly lose another and your life because of something so what seems to be quite foolish seems to be something that would make me very, very angry. It's making me angry on your behalf. Yeah, I mean, I don't get too angry, do I? Oh, you're a much better person Sarah's than I Sarah's currently am. working with a psychologist <laughs> through her anger. <laughs> so it's been a big hey, topic in the office you lately. Can come, we can FaceTime. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I mean, yeah, I could get angry, but there are people – I don't like using the description of people in way worse positions, but mm. you could get angry or I could just get busy living and doing whatever the fuck I want to do, which is what I do. And people are like, how do you get achieve what you want to achieve? And yeah, there is goal setting, but I'm not like one of those sit down, all right, I'm going to write my goals on a whiteboard and achieve them. I'm just like, I want to do that now and I'm just going to do everything I can to do it within reason, you know, yeah. still being a good person in order to do it. So, yeah, it's just kind of how I operate and – I was pissed off though, I'm not going to lie. And also, everyone's like, how are you always so positive? I wake up some morning or I sit on the couch at night going, I can't be bothered and I'm pissed off, you know. You're allowed to feel down because you feel better when you get back on the way up, you know what I mean? And you can't stay up the whole time. You have to let yourself go up and down. There's a misconception that, you know, I'm a, I'm always down, it's bad. But it's not bad, it's just a natural part of life. Mm. How was it to go from a team sport in basketball to a mostly individual sport in tennis? What was that transition like in how do you feel about both sports now? What one do you prefer? Oh, I'm, I'm glad I'm playing tennis now. Yeah. I mean, I loved basketball, but being on a cold, empty gym in the basketball court compared to being at Wimbledon is <laughs> very But I love the team aspect of winning when I won with my mates because you share it with your mates. Yeah. Something about tennis is when you win gold at the Paralympics, which I'm lucky enough to do, you share it with your family because you're by yourself. And also, you did that because you're by yourself. But... Basketball has a clock, and if you're up, or so does AFL, so does netball, whatever it is, yeah. if you're up by 20 points, you hold the ball and you win. Mm-hmm. Tennis, no time. You have to do something to win. So I actually lost my first 11 finals in a row. Did you? Yep, I didn't know because that. Because the f- mindset was different. I would expect the other person to stuff it up and I'd win. Yeah. Tennis, no. You have to do something to win. So it was a changing mindset for me, which took a while, but once I got the hang of it, I, I'm glad I made the switch. Is tennis one of the best things to ever happen to you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, sport in general, definitely. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, my partner Chantel and my family are the best thing to happen to me. Yeah. And having a disability is second. Yeah. So you might – there you go. That's weird to hear, isn't it? You'd be like, what? Your disability is the best thing to ever happen to you, but it is because it made me who I am. And I'm proud of who I am and I'm happy with who I am. And, you know, would have I won gold medals if I wasn't disabled? Don't know. Would have I met Chantel? Don't know. Would have I had the awesome family? Don't know. You know what I mean? That could have brought us all together. Who knows? And then obviously sport is probably the yeah third best thing that happened to me. Coming up after the break, Dylan tells us about his love story with his partner Chantel. But first, a word from today's sponsor. Your career has extended so far beyond sporting circles now. Like you've written a book, you've got a radio show, you've become a public speaker, you organise Ability Fest and is such a huge voice in sort of like the disability advocacy scene. I remember you told the Sydney Morning Herald in 2018, I think it was in the promotion of your book, you said, and I think you were talking in the context of Prince Harry, but you said, the more famous I get, (laughs) the weirder people become around you. And I wanted to ask you about what it's like to realise people suddenly start knowing who you are. Oh, it's weird as. I think what I meant by that is 
And if you're listening to this, I, I promise you, if you see me and you want to say hi to me, come up and say hi to me. I'm going to say good day back. You know what I mean? If I'm having dinner with Chantel and you're drunk and you sit down for 20 minutes, that can get annoying. But just come and say good day because I'm still me and I still love saying hello. It's funny how people are weird around you. And it's really cute. People shake. They're so nervous when they give you a hug. It's, and I'm like, why are you shaking? Like, I'm just, I'm just Dylan. I haven't changed. And for me, that's in my head. I'm like, I can't believe you have this effect on people. And the other thing is like, oh, I just saw a, they send you a photo of you some like eating and they're over there and it's already passed. And like, I want to come say hello, but I was too nervous. It's like, no, you should have come say day. Like, there's no problem at all. And it's so weird though. I, like, you know, to, for 50 people to come up a day and get a photo in the street is weird. Like, and, and. It's beautiful because it means hopefully I'm having an impact, you know, and it doesn't give me a huge confidence in myself. I'm not like, yeah, Dylan, you've made it. It doesn't do anything to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't give me like, it doesn't make me feel better or worse about myself. Yeah. It's just really nice to know that hopefully it's having that connection in the mainstream, I guess. And you don't pat yourself on the back every time someone looks at you or goes, oh, that's Dylan Alcott. I tell you what I do love though. What do you love? People have been, like we went to a music festival that day, Chantel and I, people pretty much just face palm me out of the way. To say hi to Chantel now. I was going to ah. ask you. I want to oh, talk about she Chantel. Gets, she gets so nervous. She gets so weird. She's like, oh my God. Oh my God. She goes, it's only because I'm standing next to you. I'm like, babe, no. I don't give a shit about me. <laughs> Everyone. I got breath the other day and we got breath and there, there was a, a lovely police woman, two police women and a cameraman there, which was kind of weird. And I got <laughs> breath and I said, oh, do you mind if we just don't film this? Just because like, I know, what, what are you filming for? They're like, oh, no, of course. And then they, I got breath and they're like, sorry, before you go, Chantel, I'm a massive fan. <laughs> It just, just straight past me. For those who aren't aware, uh, your beautiful partner, Chantelle, is like the country's best and biggest sexologist. We've done a little bit of work with her and the stuff that we've done. So people should check her out and check her Instagram page out. She has an amazing social presence too. How long have you been together and what is that relationship like? Like how has that had an impact on your life? Yeah, we've had our, had our one year not too long ago and um, we moved in together pretty much straight away. And yeah, it changed my life immediately and hers as well. I think we're both better people because of it, but also... I don't know if you both are in relationships or not, but yeah, but you have that feeling, you know, are you going to meet that person where just you will constantly want to be with them all the time and, and I've met that person. But also, I'm just so proud of the work that she does. She's so passionate about, I guess, normalising the uh, sexology and things like that and she does help so many people, you know. I didn't know what sexology was either when I met her and, you know, people might think it's like lava lamps and, you know, things like that. It's actually like she's a doctor in sexual medicine. So she helps with her breast cancer, prostate cancer, problems with desire, whatever it is. And her Instagram's so informative, but also breaks down barriers like what I'm doing. And yeah, just super proud of what she's doing. I really love talking about it, as you can tell. And I know she does, you know, proud of, of myself as well. And yeah, I, I just love when people go up to it. Like I just get the giggles. I love it so much. <laughs> what uh, do you think it is about each other that you bring out the best in each other? Like what is that dynamic between when you actually like? Uh, I think we've both, you know, I guess been successful and I love it that I can tell her when, and she can tell me when, not when we disagree, but, you know, I guess have a real positive influence on each other. Do you know what I mean? And for the better, like whether it's work ethic or just being out of chill at home and travel together and it's just the, the positive frame of mind that I'm in since I've met her. Has, is, I've always been positive, but I'm just really happy now. I'm genuinely happy and I know she is as well and I think we have a great dynamic and I'm so glad I met someone that's a real doer as well yeah. wanting to get out there and do things and I think that 
relationship complex between us is perfect because we push each other but also push each other to make time to see each other and things like that as well. In 2018, and I think in another interview you did, you were asked about what it's like for strangers to always come up to you and ask the most random invasive questions ever. And I guess that's what you spoke about at the very start of this interview. And you said at the time it would be silly for them not to ask and for me not to talk about it because it then educates everybody. Do you still feel that way or does it become kind of exhausting from time to time? Like carrying that burden? Yeah, for sure. There is a bit of that, but I don't really mind too much because I know the hopefully positive impacts it's having. Mm-hmm. I signed up for that. So I can't then go, hey, Nick off, leave me alone. You know what I mean? Within reason, like I don't want the Daily Mail to stake out my house, which <laughs> will probably happen one day. But I think the best way to educate people is to ask questions and talk about things. Within reason, you've got to have tact. So don't come up to me in the bar and go, hey, mate, what happened to you? Or hey, mate. You do know, people do that? Oh, nonstop. 100%. Wow. The normal questions I get asked, which is like kind of why we did Listen Able as well, the podcast, like – what happened to you? But can you have sex? Can you feel your dick? What's it like? And ask Chantel. Everyone will ask her. Ask my previous girlfriends. Everyone ask them. Like, it's just intriguing. And yes, you can have sex. Could you imagine how nervous was the first time I had sex with Chantel? Oh, my God. <laughs> Genuinely. She'd be the expert. Playing tennis against Roger Federer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Fuck. Mighty well. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. clearly, you're still in it. Yeah. People go, can you have sex? I'm like, just ask my sexology girlfriend. Clearly, I can. <laughs> One year later, I yeah. I don't think she'll be hanging out with me. Everybody can have sex in whatever way they can have sex, you know what I mean? So I'm lucky that I can feel a bit, so I can feel my legs a bit and, you know, I'll be able to have a kid one day, things like that. But for some people, they might not be able to, but they can do sex in other ways, you know what I mean? And it's all different. And and I think there is this, like, misconception that sex is what you've seen in porn or whatever it is where this is how you have sex. Absolutely not the case. And as you grow older, you realise that. It's the same for the disability community. The advice I'd give them that is if you see someone who is blind or is deaf or has autism, or is in a wheelchair, that you think's attractive and you're able-bodied, go fucking ask them on a date. Why would you not? Oh, because I don't know about the disability. Go ask them. They'd love it. You know what I mean? So the only way to teach people that is to talk about it. But, yeah, I haven't felt the burden yet. I haven't felt the drain yet, maybe one day, but who knows? And, and the example I give is, you know, why can't Brad Pitt be in a wheelchair or a prime minister? Yeah. Why not? Imagine that. Imagine the, the global impact that would have, you know? So... Not saying that I'm going to end acting. Maybe I am. But say, are you Brad Pitt in a wheelchair? I hope so. <laughs> it is such an interesting discussion, though, because Zara and I had a conversation with our employee Annabelle. Hello, Annabelle. She'll be editing this podcast Shout later. Shout to Annabelle. Shout out to Annabelle. We were having a conversation in the office last week about lead male actors in movies and how many of them have been people of colour. We didn't even discuss how many people of them had had a disability. Yeah, well, none. It's funny when you talk about diversity. I'm so glad you brought that up. We were. I watch press conferences of government world leaders. Mm. We care about race, religion, gender, sexual orientation so much. Full stop. I'm like, where's the biggest diversity group of all that? Disability, 20%. They don't even say it. So actors, all actors and actresses that play roles of people with disability are able-bodied people sitting or using mobility aids. Why can't you get someone with a disability? And they'll say, well, there's a scene in the thing where someone walks or whatever. All right? So they have to be able to walk. But you can get around that. You know what I mean? The only... They're barely like Peter Dinklage is a leader from Game of Thrones. He pay, um, he's a person of short stature. The guy off Breaking Bad, RJ Mitty, he actually had cerebral palsy, even though I think he put a bit of mayonnaise on his cerebral palsy, like he made it a little bit worse in the thing, which I would do if I was. <laughs> he was a great actor. Yeah, as well. but apart from that, like I don't know any. So yeah. yeah, it might be something I actually actually do want to get into it. So home and away if you're listening. <laughs> home um, and away if you are listening. I'm would you ready. go home and away over neighbours? Neighbours, you could stay. I, mean, in I don't Melbourne. discriminate against networks. I love all. Yeah. <laughs> But um, I'll take anything I can get, I guess. Or I'll just go straight to Hollywood. Okay. Just you guys, jump in, you guys on a plane. in America? 
Yeah, I mean, a little bit, sure. Only, I mean, a tiny bit. <laughs> I'd put your eggs in the home and away basket okay. for now. I also read that you said once, I know some people in the disability community would have resented me because it's like, here's that Paralympian guy we're only going to hear about. How do we widen the conversation now then, like beyond just you? And do you feel that? Oh, I would love to widen. That's all I think about. Like I appreciate I'm the lucky one and, and you know, and I'm the one who's broadcast on TV playing sport and no one else is. That's why I do it to hopefully get more people to show it's entertaining so mm-hmm. other athletes can get seen. But the biggest thing is people that aren't Paralympians and you're disabled, they go, you're either on TV, on a current affair talking about your disability or you just play sport. Musos, writers, actors, business people, farmers, whatever with a disability do you do you know any of course not it's not talked about right so they resent that and i appreciate that from their point of view the one thing i will say is i got on a plane the other day and i was sitting there and then the person that was working at the airline asked the person next to me is he going to be okay and the person next to me said i don't know i've never met him before that person assumed the person next to me is my carer that happens to me still as well right that's just not because i'm a paralympian i'm still disabled I still face the same things everybody else faces with a disability. I'm just trying to be, put myself out there. So hopefully it helps all of us. Mm. And hopefully I'm doing a good job in that. It's not about me getting famous. I couldn't fucking care about that. Mm. It's about me trying to, you know, I could win 25 grand slams and five gold, five more gold medals and I would regret not doing what I'm put here to do, which is help as many people as I can that are like me all around the world. So but yeah, I want more. I'm sick of myself as well. Like I want more people. <laughs> Like those, We're not sick of you. Those ANZ ads are awesome. I love you, ANZ. They're, they're everywhere. <laughs> we do love ANZ. Speaking of helping others in the community, not just, of course, your own platform and going outside of that, I do want to talk to you about the world right now. Like I know that we're trying to avoid coronavirus talk wherever we can, but you've done some great work with spreading awareness for the disability community right now. What can we do for people with a disability to make sure that in this current climate they're receiving the support that they need? Yeah, we just released a video. I've got a consulting company called Get Skilled Access where we educate governments and corporates to better understand people with a disability. And we did like a public service announcement in this time. If I hear one more time, right, that this is, oh, it's just a common cold, you'll be fine. That is correct, right, for most people. For some of my friends, they're going to die straight up if they get it. So do everything in your power to prevent those people from dying, please. And I know they don't have a voice, but they can't breathe properly at the best of times. They get coronavirus, they're done. People with cancer having chemo at the moment, they're done. You know what I mean? People with low immune systems, they're done. That's why this thing's important. Are we talking about that enough? I don't think we are. You don't really know that. You're just talking about cash money. Are we going to play footy? Like all this stuff. It's like, you understand they're at home. They're going to be home for a year. And if someone comes in with coronavirus, they're dead. Like it's, it's serious. And I think the, you know, we need to lead by example, like some countries have been doing to really just shut down for a while so we can then reboot and save lives save lives that's the trick i know we have to do it in a way that protects the economy so we all can still live but that's the crux of it and you know if you've got symptoms please self-isolate because if you give it to someone who is a carer that carer can't go to work that person they work for guess what they can't eat they can't shower you know what i mean things like that and one other thing is if people that are vulnerable are self-isolating your grandparents people with disabilities people who are sick please facetime them Skype them, talk to them. It's going to be shit house. Uh, it's going to be lonely. Lonely for all of us, but especially yeah. uh, at least you can still, during isolation, you still be able to go out and walk your dog. You still be able to go get fresh air, right, if we're all isolated, but those people can't mm-hmm. in case they catch it. So, you know, 
I'm not here to spread doom and gloom. It's going to be fine. But it's just something to take in mind because the vulnerable are the ones that are going to be affected. It's also like shifting the focus from not what if I get it. It's what if I give it to someone else that's, who's going to really struggle with it. Most people are going to get it are going to be fine. It's yeah. if you give it to people who aren't. Yeah. That's where we're seeing the Italian population is very good at cooking pasta and pizza and old. That's mm. why they're all passing away. Yeah. They're giving it to people. That's what's happened. So disability is the same. You know what I mean? Not all disabilities, obviously, but for a portion of them. And also, you can't just put out press conferences on TV and expect people with intellectual disabilities to understand them. They don't understand what's going on right now. So the messages have to be delivered differently as well for those, you know, demographic of people. So I don't know if we're seeing that at the moment. Uh, I think they're getting left out of the pool. How would the Dylan of maybe, say, 13 years old, 14 years old, consider the Dylan of now? Oh, shit. He'd be pretty happy. Oh, I, I mean, I thought about this. I, I thought about this yesterday. It's so funny you asked me that question. I thought about this yesterday randomly because, I mean, I thought I, I didn't even know how to still be alive, to be honest. Like, I had no idea what I was doing. Be morbidly obese, eating Doritos, playing video games still. Yeah, so if you had told me the, that we'd set up a foundation to help kids with disabilities called the Dylan Orkoff Foundation, I would have done that. I would have been like, wow, good on, you know, thank God you did that. Like, I'm trying to help kids like me realise that they are valuable and they can get out there and do what they want. If you told me that, I'd have a beautiful partner who's talented and successful and who I love heaps, who loves me, who, you know, is the most attractive person I've ever seen in my life. She is <laughs> weirdly attractive. She's amazingly attractive. It's hard to look at her sometimes. She's, yeah, she, if you told me that, absolutely no way. <laughs> like, and I'm serious and, and I think, yeah, I, I wouldn't have believed it. And that's all I can say. I mean, obviously I'd be happy but I would have not believed it in my wildest dreams that I'd be doing what I'm doing. And if I'm honest with you, I'm still not finished. Like I still want to do a lot more things and I'm really happy that I've still got to drive. Like I'm not like, I'm just going to, you know, sit at home and put money in the share market and do nothing. Like, and, and you know, I'm, I'm not that kind of guy. I just want to keep doing other things and broadcasting and acting and, you know, politics down the track maybe and podcasting. and Please politics down the track. That sounds awesome. Would you vote for me? Oh my God, yes. I'd vote for you. Put all these pictures into the podcast. I love yeah. it. We got to make money before we come politician because I don't actually get paid that one. Yeah. So you got to set yourself up and then get into it. But um, yeah, who knows? Yeah, I'd I love the end of politics. The one thing is though, if the party passes an act about disability that I disagree with, you have to tow party lines. I wouldn't be able to do that. That would suck. You'd have well, to. I wouldn't be able to do it. Would you stand as an independent? Yeah, but then you can't do anything. Yeah, true. It's a it's it's a game of compromise, isn't it? See what I mean? If yeah. anyone so, could do it, you could though. Yeah, I back you. I'd just like I'd flip tables in there. Like, <laughs> start again, unstitch yeah. it all, and start again. Dylan, our second last question for you: How do you find joy, particularly in times like these? Oh, I reflect on how lucky I am to be doing the things that I'm doing, and I don't really talk about this too much. But there's a photo when I do like I do a lot of corporate inspirational speaking and things. And there's a photo of me with a little blue teddy bear, and I talk about how my parents were always in the hospital every night they spent by my side. They did, and then I say. Also, they say, because they're not in the photo, right? I always use that joke. But then my dad told me when I wrote my book, because I wrote my own book called Abel, he took that photo because the doctor told him to take that photo because I probably wasn't going to be awake in the morning because I was going to pass away. And I was like, I didn't know that until I was 27 years old. I'm lucky to be doing what I'm doing. I really am. And even though we're in tumultuous time, we're all lucky to be doing what we're doing. And even though we might have heaps of bad things going on, we can look at the person next to us and go, I love you. Or you can find solace in your favourite Netflix show or your favourite podcast or whatever it is. There are ways to find it. And I think also finding balance in your life as well. Like people are like, how do you do so many things? You've got so many jobs. I tell you what else I do. 
I eat Uber Eats on the couch. <laughs> I do nothing sometimes and I love that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You've got to look after yourself as well. And that's why if I just played tennis, I'd hate tennis. If I just did radio, like on the Fox and that, on the Hit Network, I'd hate it. If I just did, I'd hate it. I like doing multiple things because it keeps me fresh in what I'm doing. Our last question that we ask every single interviewee is, what is success to you with all of this in mind? Uh, success to me is, I guess, making a difference. It's not about money or Instagram followers. It's not about grand slams or gold medals. It really isn't. It's about making a difference in for my community and people that I care about. And success to me is being happy with the person that I am and living a happy life with the people that I love. And I mean that. And you'll all agree, the more fame you get, the more success you have, it's cool. But it is irrelevant to the actual things that matter in life. And I found that out early enough in my life and I'm so happy that I'm living the life that I live. I really am. And uh, hopefully my story helps other people. If not, hopefully it entertains and things like that. If not, at least podcast over. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> Dylan, I think you have helped and entertained everyone who has tuned into this today. Thank you so much for joining us. You are incredibly busy and in demand and we are very, very grateful that you made the time for us. Thanks, ladies. And I'm big fans of what you do. And, and I've actually seen that you've actually in the past interviewed people with a disability. I've listened to them. And thanks for being leaders in what you do as well because without – people like yourselves I can't do what I'm doing so I really appreciate you having me on can I come back yes. you can come back anytime tomorrow do you do guest appearances in when you do the pop culture episodes or is that just you oh my god we, we should we can yeah, I want to come back. <laughs> hey Let's I watch maths and shit <gasps> Amazing. Stay tuned. You can everyone. be our resident maths expert because neither of us watch it anymore. Oh, so we need watch, someone. Oh, you're not watching about it. I'm not I'm not into it at the moment. But thank you so yeah. much again. Thank you so much for listening to this In Conversation episode of Shameless with Dylan Orcott. For more from Dylan, please, please, please go and listen to his new podcast. It's called Listen Able. It's with Angus O'Loughlin. We will put a link in our show notes. While you are there, make sure you hit subscribe. It really helps Dylan and Angus out and it helps them spread the word too. You guys can also find Dylan on Instagram at Dylan Alcott. If you enjoyed this episode, scroll back through our feeds. We have so many more just like it that you'll love too. Now, to encourage you all to stay home, Zara and I have put together a plan. We want to launch hashtag shamelessly isolated today. We want you guys to go on your Instagram stories, take a photo of where you are listening to this podcast at home, and to encourage others to stay at home in this time, we want you to hashtag shamelessly isolated. This will go for 24 hours. If you tag us at shameless podcast and you hashtag shamelessly isolated with your photo, you will enter a competition where Zara and I will send out a pamper package replete with skincare and books and snacks to one lucky shameless listener so again hashtag shamelessly isolated a photo of where you're listening and anything else about this episode that you've enjoyed we want everyone to stay home please be safe look out for each other that is all from me that is all from us thank you so much for listening we'll be back in your ears on monday bye guys Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If 
that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.